0: This is Paul Nobles from Eat to Perform, and we are here with our lifetime members. Um, if you're not familiar, Eat to Perform, we, we sell you know the monthly memberships or whatever, um, but we also give clients the option to have a lifetime membership, which basically means that they no longer pay a uh, membership fee once they pay that fee. Of course, it's a, a little bit higher, but we think it's a pretty good deal. And we like to do little extra things along the way, just to show our appreciation for those clients. And right now, I think we're closing in on something like 7,000 or something. So it's uh, our next push should really push things over, um, some, some really big numbers which is really interesting, you know, ever since day one, part of the basic idea was that we would um, try to be different in the dieting space. You know, there's the whole is diet, it's lifestyle. If you show me knew that, if we were to do it the way we needed to do it, we needed people to have a reason to buy in right um, you know on the on the one hand you can sort of get people interested with the content and then you know once they first start you know it's a it's a really good thing but you know the the deep dive stuff the the building muscle, the holding on to muscle, the long phases where you're not dieting you know, that's really only done by this group, right? Where, you know, I mean, some of our lifetime members have been with us for eight years, which is like the first time that we ever did it. And, and they've been through multiple PR cycles. Um, And, and one of the things that we're going to talk about today is when life happens within those cycles, right? So, uh but let me uh introduce you to my cohorts in crime. Um we have Becky Avara, who is the lead coach for Eat Reform. And uh everyone on this call is probably very familiar with Becky. Um Carolyn, same thing. You know, we you know, both of them are you know lead lead coaches in their own right. And so Uh, they are on the adjustment team, which is actually one of the things that evolved from this group, right? The adjustment team was something where sometimes coaches can be too close to a situation. And so we created the adjustment team to basically be the math for people. Now, coaches have the ability to make any change that a client would need, but what we found was is that having kind of this separate group um, actually worked better. And I would, I would say that anybody that, that was around for a long time uh, probably agrees with this, right? The, the, the better situation is just to have like a separate group for math. And uh, so, yeah, that's we, we have a team. I think the adjustment team's what, like 10 or so now, you know, just because we have so many clients. And, um, you know, it's been a, a real big adjustment. I'm just trying to think of some of the other big adjustments along the way, but that, that was a pretty big one. Um, all right. So I wanted to get into kind of a topic that came up in the group that I think is really important because, you know, there's a lot of people that find it interesting when others aren't doing well right because you know about it you know we're not all on 100 percent of the time right so so you know the people that i was talking about earlier that have been with us for eight years this idea that they've been logging their food for all eight years and going to the gym Five days a week, and and all the things that I think people aspire towards as they're moving towards fitness, but then they kind of don't know what to do once things are normal, right? And that's what I really—that's the discussion I wanted to have today, because you know there was actually some someone that said in the group that they found it demotivating when people would post. Uh, your progress graphs where they were losing weight, and I was like, "I get, I get that you might be stuck in a bad place and struggling um, to, you know, stay on task, right? But I don't get how it would be demotivating, right? Like unless you're trying to compare your current situation. I think we, you know, especially in the last two years, I mean if if there's any one thing we should all be tuned into is the fact that you know life life happens and what i think when we look at it so so the the, the person posted this this graph and she showed it she showed where you know she made all this progress and then she, she lost some of the progress along the way, but she did something really interesting. And I need uh, Carolyn and Becky to step up if, uh, if things start to become laggy for me. But um, she did something interesting that most people don't do in that situation, right? Is she kept track the whole way. And I think there's a lot of people that are like seeing that post and going, wow, you know, I'm not the only one that struggles on occasion. But what they're not being honest about is the fact that they aren't doing what she did, right? Because if you think about why we fail or how we fail, more often than not, we fail in anonymity and we fail because we don't wanna know. We don't want to know the data. Like when you when somebody says to me, and I understand, you know, some people have an eating disorder um, history and and things of this nature. And doctors might say, well, you know, stay away from the scale. For people that aren't eating disordered, right? And and we all probably deal with that in some way, shape, or form. The the reason why you don't want to get on a scale is because you don't want to know what it's going to tell you right? And, and part of what we try to do and the information that we try to bring to everyone is that you shouldn't expect the scale to go down every single day. If that's disappointing to you, that's an unrealistic expectation that you've set for yourself that is unhealthy, right? Um, you should expect your weight to fluctuate you know when you have a day with more calories your weight should be up right all these different things that seem somewhat logical yet you know people want to tune them out because they just don't like the information right and and you know in a lot of ways if you think about it if you're in a bad financial situation and you just don't you just decide that the best way to deal with it is just to not look at your bank account that's not gonna change your house getting foreclosed. It's not gonna change your car being taken away from you. Right. And, and so, so I understand that maybe bad information one day or, or two days along the way, you know, you might wanna you might wanna ignore it. But for the most part, the data is actually gonna provide you a path. And the one thing that that I don't think people were considering is that her situation could have gone real bad, right? If she wasn't keeping track. So like the whole point of the post was her to say, it's time to buckle down. Well, wh- how did she know to buckle down? How did she know? The thing about what people that don't look at the scale or don't look at data, what ends up happening in those situations is that it has to get real, real bad, right? Where it's visibly bad in the mirror, where where family members are coming to you concerned, things of that nature. That's when when a doctor says something to you. That's when people do that. I you know people hate this when I say this, but the single most effective thing related to um, managing your weight is is weighing yourself daily. That's a scientific fact, right? Um, now, like I said, you know. There are lots of reasons medically, you know, mental health wise that, that people do it. But just because you don't want to know the data doesn't mean that it's protecting your mental health necessarily, right? I just think if you could change that expectation and realize that weight needs to go, even when weights go, like if you look at the, the seven days and, and how we set them up, we intentionally set those seven days up. Um, using the data from lifetime clients, right? The people that have been around for a long, long time. And what we saw was if we could get weight to just tick up a little bit, you know, someone referred to it this week as cat ears. They're little cat ears where the weight goes up. So it allows the weight to go down. The problem with, you know, and there's people that are with this and I'm not talking about it. I'm not going to, you know, quote, six clinical studies but if you give your body a non-moving target it's going to gravitate towards the mean right it's going to gravitate towards what your weight is normally when you can move calories up move calories down you can then do some things with it that allows your body like the biggest factor like people are like well what's the magic behind the calories varying each day. Well, frankly, there, there is no magic. We were, we were trying to push more calories through the week so that people could then work out better. And so when you look at people that are NPR, mostly weight stable, things of this nature, but then they look so much more muscular, even in, even in fat loss, what's happening is they're seeing recomp all throughout the way, right? Because their macros are better. Their protein is adequate, all these things that are favorable. But if you can go to the gym and be 80% rather than 60%, that's a good thing. You know, I think one of the things that if we're all being honest, you know, we sort of like the wish of fat loss, you know, but we don't like, you know if if you're if you're like a lifetime member and you know you've really bought into the program part of what you bought into is that you view food as an ally right and if we're viewing food as an ally along the way then that will allow those workouts to be better it will allow more energy for walks it will allow for more things where you are, um, you know, just, just more of a human being along the way, right? Just getting through the workday without having to load up on, on six things of coffee. It's always interesting to me that like the super sciency people who are always focusing on deficits all the time, one of the big factors is, is caffeine. They love caffeine, Right. And the reason why they love caffeine is because it gives you the will to do something in the moment that you would not normally want to do without energy. Right. And if your diet model never normalizes food, well, of course, you're going to put out all the virtues of caffeine. You know, I, mean, I put out an article the other day, you know, because, you know, I've been traveling a lot and a little bit sleep deprived luckily this week i've been able to catch up i mean it's just it's just a lifetime of difference right like within one week you know once i was able to start getting my sleep back in order throwing in some naps you know in the middle of the day like my whole life changed <laughs> you know i just felt different uh, i had more energy i didn't necessarily feel these massive cravings. I mean, think about it, you know, you're sleeping five days a week, you know, um, you're in fat loss as an example, and you're just constantly craving food because your body's trying to get energy from somewhere. In that way, sleep is actually a preserver of muscle along the way, but also is going to allow you to go through a little bit more of a stressful period. If people are finding that, you know, I mean, like the lady on the call on Thursday, she was talking about she only sleeps four hours a day and she has very real reasons why she does that. And my recommendation was let's try and normalize food and then see if we can fix that just to get that to six hours. Can you imagine if you were sleeping four hours a day and then all of a sudden you started getting six? I mean, it would you'd feel like like Wonder Woman, you know, or Superman, you know, um, and and that is what it's like, you know. Um, a lot of the time, you know, I usually work out, play pickleball in the evenings, and more often than not, I'm doing that after a nap. Well, usually, my performance is is a lot bigger. It kind of depends on how close to the nap it is. I can be a little groggy, you know at first, but you know as long as as long as I can have like a little snack, you know two hours after the nap usually i'm 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 pretty good and ready to go right and i think if if for you that's the gym, if for you that's running, you know those things are all favorable so I think when you know when we're looking to other people to see, Hey, look, other people fail also. That's a great thing. I think that's something that, that, you know, we should all appreciate and understand that that's part of life, right. That, that it's not just about having success, staying at that success forever, you know, and then, you know, when you don't, you get really, really frustrated. You know, the 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 idea that all this is linear is wrong, you know, and part of what we're ultimately trying to teach everybody is to work within that that time frame where, you know, like in her case, staying weight stable, you know, through a really difficult period mentally and physically, um, you know, is, is progress, you know, I mean, if you don't check the scale start to get into bad habits gain 30 to 40 pounds along the way because you weren't checking your data points you know um that's more frustrating right because now you know you've dug a gigantic hole and now you've got to do things that are either a little bit more drastic or a little bit more um that are just going to take longer along the way, right? The other thing I wanted to talk about before we get to, to QA, and there was a there was a study that came out this week um, that's kind of making the rounds. And the study is, you know, the clickbaity version is, you know, um, diets fail because resting met- metabolic rate goes low when you're in a deficit. It's like, so that we've been talking about this for, for 10 years, but That's not why diets fail, right? Diets fail because we get in our minds that we need to lose 50 pounds and we don't set up parameters that allow for success over time, right? And so if you're 50 pounds overweight, oftentimes you wanna be rid of that 50 pounds because one, it weighs on you mentally. And then of course it weighs on you physically. If you're trying to exercise, you know, um, you know, losing 50 pounds is going to give you more energy throughout the day. But the problem with losing 50 pounds all at once is that it takes more out of you. You know, I wrote an article about it. We actually talked about it in the new podcast a little bit where, you know, the standard that most of us talk about is one pound a week, right? And I made the case for the way that we do it, having one fat loss cycle at the beginning of the year and one at the end of the year would only put you in kind of a bigger deficit for four weeks, right? Where you're at your lowest. So so essentially, if you look at like Weight Watchers or Noom or something like that, they're gonna bring you to that number. And for 52 weeks, life's gonna suck, right? What I'm saying is, is that you'd be better off viewing it as two cycles, right, to lose 50 pounds and um, only be in an extreme deficit for four weeks. The reason why people don't wanna do that is because they're impatient. And I understand that the impatient is because, well, you know, got some bad habits, you know, along the way, but what they often don't view, they start to add in exercise, they start to get a lot of the things right. But let's be real here for all of you that have been lifetime and been lifetime for a while. You're still adding in new habits along the way that you're hearing from the group. um, Or, you know, finding through your social media feeds or something of this nature, two, three years in, you know, there's this thought process that you have to fix it all at once, and that thought process is actually why people fail. So the, 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 the thing is, is wrong, right? Like, they're talking about willpower and how willpower isn't the problem um, because, you know, these diets are going too long, not realizing that all you have to do is just shorten the diet cycle. Right? But, but we as people, we get motivated in the moment, right? You start to have a lot of success. Like one of the things that happens a lot early on, you lose a lot of water weight, and that carries you for a couple of weeks. you know, obviously, the, I'm not referring to the eform way of doing it. So the way that you guys do it, and you ladies do it, um, is going to be vastly different than the way that the good majority of people do it, right? The good majority of people, you know, you'll talk to them and they'll be like, you know, I'm plateaued. And you ask them, well, how long have you been on a diet? And they're like seven months, seven months, you know, I mean, it's well known that the body adapts acutely, right? It doesn't take the body very long. There was um, a bodybuilder back in the day we were talking to. I can't remember who it was, but they, Measured metabolic rate. So, like for instance, when you get an in-body and it tells you what your metabolic rate is, it's just guessing. It doesn't know it, right? Um, it's basing it on an average of people and formulas from the 1950s. Now they do have the ability to test your metabolic rate in a lab. They put a little bubble over your head and you have a breathing device, and then when you use that breathing device. It will um, it'll do a better job at estimating your metabolic rate. So what happened was is the person was in a surplus, they were in a bulking cycle, right? So very different from what what many of you experience you probably think you're in a bulking cycle every time you get two hundred calories, but I'm talking about someone who's really trying to be in a surplus, right? So they were in a surplus for for. A year, I believe it was. And within two weeks, their resting metabolic rate or their basal metabolic rate had reduced um, in half, in two weeks, right? And so that was a little bit what the study was talking about because they were using the same measurement with the bubble on the head and stuff like this. But this has been... Well, known. You know, a lot of people go, well, you know, um, is what you're doing or is what you're saying scientifically proven? Well, there are a th- lot of things that are, are scientifically proven, but there's also a lot of things that science has yet to c- catch up to, right? So the concept of total daily energy expenditure, most people believe to be scientific fact. The reality is, is that your body actually changes quite a bit. So this idea of moving to predictive total daily energy expenditure is actually more scientific, but the science hasn't caught up to it yet. When I started Eat to Perform, you know, I was like, I don't understand why. Well, I knew that just going down was a bad approach. Analytically, there is no... There is no statistical data that would only look at down, right? You would always look at all the data points, but the problem is, is that most people, especially for dieting, are going to be in a deficit, so the numbers are going to be down. So it's very difficult to find a group where the numbers are up. And so when we brought that to the table, it was a whole different deal. Once you can do that, then you can really analyze the data. So you have to look at the people that are really pushing the upside, and then you have to look at people pushing the downside. You know, most people believe that if you're eating 3000 calories, and you take away 500 calories, you'll lose a pound a week. The problem with that theory is, is that the body adjusts very quickly. So while it may be correct, that the person would lose a pound a week, they've only lost two pounds before the body adjusts. Right. And so, so, you know, if you're thinking of it, right, like I'm at 3000 calories, I'm going to go to 2,500 calories and that 2,500 calories is going to last me, you know, for six months and, and I'm going to then lose 26 pounds. You're not right. And so, so you have to factor these things in science isn't necessarily caught up to that at this point. There's still a large part, and I think part of it is what you sell, right? If you're selling the idea that food needs to come back, then you get to tell the truth. If you're selling the idea that these long, prolonged diets to nowhere where you create like this prison atmosphere related to your food, um, you're going to seek out data that, that confirms your bias, right? and to me i don't understand why more people aren't interested in what we're doing and why we're talking about it from a dieting standpoint like think about it if you're weight watchers you know you're created a model that is very unscientific and has been unscientific for 70 years right 60 70 uh, 60 years Um, and and yet, you know, the better business model would be to help people for longer periods of time where you can help them normalizing food. I mean, let's be real here. We, the, the under eating part is, is really easy, right? It's the moving food back to normal where your metabolic rate. Now we do know that metabolic rate does get damaged through the, um, the biggest loser studies, right? So so the um, National Institute of Health um, did studies on a lot of the participants in the biggest loser. And what they saw was that those acute uh, deficits over six months or whatever actually harm those people for life. But there hasn't been the opposite address, right? Where, you know, Many, many of them, as we know, gained the weight back. Some didn't, but some of the people that didn't are suffering from irreparable harm from the level of rigidity that they have to have to stay that weight, right? And we know, of course, that it just gets worse and worse and worse. And so when you ask these other companies, you know, why their deficits aren't working, they'll often point to the one or few times where the client is non-compliant and and they're comfortable with that because they don't have data, right? They're just given a number and they can't see what's actually happening with that number. There are some that do, and those people are ignorant, right? And I mean ignorant in the way that the, the definition of ignorance is, is if you have data and you see that that data isn't working, and you do not act on that data, you are being ignorant with the data that's being presented to you. You know for us, I will say that um, what I just described, we believed that early on. We believed that you know, if you could start somebody at five thousand, right, take away five hundred along the way, you know, um, you could get them a better result. Now we did know that it 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 changed. We just didn't know how fast it changed, right? But if any of you have gotten your numbers up to those numbers, what you often see is that you're going to land you know, um, roughly in the same place that most of the other clients who didn't get their calories near as high, right? You're gonna end up with similar macros. It's gonna take you longer to get there and you're possibly going to lose three to four more pounds but if you started off at 5,000, I always love this quote from Adam Carolla. He said, you know, the, the problem with Hollywood is that there's a lot of people bitter about making a million dollars a year He's like because they made 10 million five years ago, right? And that's what happens with the 5,000 calorie people, right? If you're eating 5,000 calories and to get to lowest weight where you're seeing muscle striation." shoulder striations, spleen striations is my big joke. Um, You're gonna have to be really low in calories at least for a bit, right? And, you know, it sucks, you know, to be at 1300 calories if you were at 1500 calories previous to that. But like I said, especially if you come from a dieting background, there, there does seem to be some genetic markers along the way that are kind of kicking into place that are accelerating the adaptation, right? And it's this adaptation that no one wants to talk about. You know, like no other company is out there. I mean, Noom's out here telling you that their magic is, they have magic psychology to help you eat 1,100 calories a day, right? And that's bullshit. Meanwhile, they have more data than virtually anybody else out there, except for the fact that nobody's eating over 2,000 calories, not even men right so they they don't they have you know they talk about their their magical ai that's that's mostly centered around like their sales system and things of this nature and how you know coaches interact with the, the, their real data that they can put that ai on they don't have because nobody's in a surplus nobody's trying to gain muscle nobody's trying to hold on to muscle they they don't deal with any level of adaptation so their people are suffering and wondering why this magical psychology isn't working for them right and a lot of people you know weight loss is tricky right even, even people within eating form i mean if you've been dieting since you were 15 years old you know it stands to reason that some some of these physiological factors along the way are going to affect you now the amount of people that you know are outliers you know honestly are a handful but the problem that we run into is that the people that could benefit from what we do eventually, you know they get frustrated too early on or they're scared, right? And you know we try to work people through that, but at some point logic fails you, you know I mean, I often say to people, you know they, they I just can't deal with this, so so I'm gonna have to quit And it's like, well, you know be honest with yourself, you're not quitting to eat tubs of ice cream, you're quitting so that you can lower the expectation for who you are and what you want to be, right? Like, like, if you think about it, you know, Susan was really intrigued by this idea, you know, where when you eat less, you know, or you go back to intuitively eating chicken and kale, um, you're, you're eating fewer calories. So are you really going to get off that couch on that one day where you're not feeling motivated? I guarantee you if you're eating 4000 calories, you not only want to get off the couch, you do feel sort of an obligation. You know you can't eat 4000 calories and not move, right? And and part of being human being is is moving. You know, and I'm not talking about, you know, 25-year-old people. I'm talking about 80-year-old people. You know, um, you know, people, you know, people joke about me constantly talking about pickleball, mostly me, um, just self-deprecating type stuff. But what a lot of you don't realize is that I'm playing pickleball with 80 and 90-year-old people, people that have been active their whole life and those people are smoking me. (laughs) I mean, you wanna talk about humbling. I was playing with a guy that literally couldn't bend over you know, but he'd been playing tennis most of his life. He started picking up pickleball and, you know, he, he was just, he was just an athlete at 90 years old. And, and, you know, when I looked at him, you know, even with, even with the the bad knee and even with, you know, all these other things that were going wrong, you know, he was focused on what was going right for him, you know? And I think, I think what, what happens is, Is there's this, and it kind of, the two kind of relate, right? Because NBC is putting out the story because many people fail at dieting. And oh, by the way, their timing is, you know, immaculate because you're one month in to something that you started at the first of the year. I mean, I would say probably 70% 70 of the people have left or failed doing the diet to nowhere approach, you know, our success rate is a lot higher. We see a lot longer throughout the process just because you're not suffering from day one. You know, the good majority of people, like if you think, I mean, the most amazing thing, you not everybody sees this. The most amazing thing about eating Form is that almost all of you are doing the plan all the time. So many people are green, Every single day, I guarantee you, we're the only program out there that has that level of compliance that holds people to that standard. And if you think about being compliant, I'm talking about in PR also, right? And so so we're saying that both sides, like most most places are saying that under eating, if 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 you have a few goldfish, that's that's it. That's why you're not gaining weight. It's like, is that really it? You know, because it feels like my resting m- metabolic rate going and a half might might be a factor. You know, I mean, if I if my resting metabolic rate was was three thousand and it goes to fifteen hundred, sure does feel like those goldfish really didn't matter near as much as that fifteen hundred calories, right? But you know, um, it, it's it just depends on what you sell. And like I said, I just don't get why other people don't unsell, why they don't sell the harder part. The harder part is the food coming back, right? The easy part is taking away people's food. That's not difficult at all. You know, I mean, if you go into any of our groups, right, and you're talking to someone in meal planning, they're like, you know, I'm at the hardest part of fat loss. What can I do to help with hunger signaling? And 70 people answer within 15 minutes everybody knows the answer to that right the hard part is when your calories are getting up to 2700 and you go to vegas or you go to nana's and and all of a sudden your calories are adrift for a bit and you come back and without the help of a coach you would be too restrictive too fast. And what do we know from from the study that was just published? What we've known for 10 years is that your body adapts quickly. So within a week, your body's gonna adjust to having just salads, right? And so, yeah, you might lose a little bit along the way, but you would have lost it anyway. You're just holding on to a little bit more water because you were drinking and eating foods that you normally don't drink, right? Like the, the two things, That people seem to neglect, you know, they focus just on the calories, right? One, if you eat out, there's a lot more butter and fats in the foods that you eat. Two, there's a lot more sodium, right? Why? Because the fats and the sodium make it taste better. You know, there's all this condemnation of carbohydrates. I mean, I don't know how many of you can just down like a pound of mashed potatoes. That's really, really difficult, right? But if you have a ribeye steak, I mean, I used to love eating ribeye steaks, you know? Ribeye steaks have a lot of calories, you know? I mean, you're eating like this relatively small 16 ounce piece of meat for 1200 calories, you know? So so calories come really dense in carbohydrates. It's kind of insincere. When people talk, talk, hold on, we got to Okay, sorry, somebody went off a of mute. Um, but it's kind of insincere when people bring up carbohydrates, like people are just downing refined sugar. And don't get me wrong, people, people are, are, are eating sugar in a way that could be improved upon, right? For instance, I mean, it always shocks me how big the soda aisle is you know, um, but a lot of the soda aisle is diet calories, right? And there's all these myths about that. And I don't want to really get into the myths related to that, but, um, you know, we were just, you know, my, my, my wife has this call with her sisters every Saturday and, um, you know, they were talking about water and everybody was talking about how they don't drink enough water. And some people were talking about the techniques so that they drink water and look, water doesn't taste good. You know, I mean, water tastes good in the moment. You know, I mean, one of the strategies that my sister-in-law mentioned is one of the strategies that I use, right? Cold water is difficult to drink, right? Water with ice is difficult to drink. So I learned very early in the process that if I had tap water, or water on my counter that was at room temperature, I could drink it better. You know, we focus so much on water related to um, kind of helping with hunger signaling and don't realize that water will actually help you not have strokes, right? The water has so much value um, that, that we don't focus on at all, you know? Water without carbohydrates doesn't hydrate you as well. Water without sodium doesn't hydrate you as well. Well, guess what? We just demonize carbohydrates and we demonize sodium, right? Why? Well, we did it because they're known to not leave you as hydrated, right? So you're going to weigh less. So our focus on weighing less became better than being healthy. You know, being hydrated is actually pretty helpful when you are working out, right? And when you're trying to get better in the gym. And so I think that there is a very real connection between, I'm just shocked at how fast we figured it out. And I I think the problem that other places have is that they never looked up and we started looking up we said the thing that is failing a lot of people and you go well there are a lot of people that are on various diets and stuff like that and you know they don't weigh a lot yeah but you know their thyroid is destroyed um their hormones are all out of whack you know i mean they have a lot of people that start looking at hormones prematurely, right? Because what happens is is they have this narrative that it's the hormones that are out of of whack and the hormones are out of whack, right? Like all of our hormones get worse and worse and worse as we live longer. But if you're on a really restrictive diet and you start to replace those hormones, all you're gonna find is that you're gonna have to replace more and more and more of those hormones to get that first effect that you get, because when you first start, you know, um, you get a you get a good feeling, right? It's like, oh, I have more energy, things of this nature. But now all of a sudden, you're continuing to eat less because your real your real thing isn't the hormones; it's that you believe that you're ten pounds overweight, right? And so now all of a sudden, instead of just getting five milligrams or something, now you got to bump to ten, and then fifteen, and twenty, and it's all these other things, not realizing that the calories and the fats and the carbohydrates from all those foods you could be eating actually do serve a purpose in your body, right? And then of course, when we tie that to being active, you know, that's where we see what our true selves are as human beings, right? So I think the two are related. I think that there's, you know, this this want to, you know, be okay with failing, right? And then, you know, but we also wanna lose weight, right? And, and I think that kind of the original thing that we were talking about is that you might not get it right the first time out of the gate, but if you, if you stay focused with the data, if you stay on point with kind of your lifelong, way of learning where things aren't just taken away from you but they're you're living a life of abundance you're going to be more likely to find it out and i'm not telling most of you this right because most of you have experienced some version of it but i do i do want you to know that you know as you're going through this lifetime process part of what our role is is to allow you to be okay with not being optimal at every single moment. Cause I'm not, I'm just being honest with you. And I know Carol and Becky aren't either. So let's go into questions. Um, I didn't think that that would go long but it, there was just a lot of good stuff that was coming out there.
1: Okay, um, Taylor's asking, is there an upper limit to exercise or movement in fat loss? Um, or just don't add new level and let your body dictate?
0: Read read that to me again.
1: They're asking if there's an upper limit to exercise or movement in fat loss. Do you add in something new or do you let your body just
0: dictate? So, you know, if we, you know, one of the things that's very popular in the low carb world is they go, well, if you have 30% fat, at and you're um, 200 pounds, that's basically 660 times 3,500, right? That's how many calories that you have in storage that you'll be fine. Um, and, and to a certain extent, that is true, right? You can push things to the point, but your body will preserve itself after a certain point, which is why You know, you'll see like ultra marathoners and things of this nature, even with a good fat layer, they're going to struggle. Most of those people don't have kind of defined abs and and things of this nature because there's going to be this constant drag on muscle. But, you know, it sounds like the basis of your question is, can I burn more calories while also... Eating fewer calories? And that answer is no, right? Like, realistically, log- logically, you know that's not true, right? Now, are there some things that you can do? Scientifically, this actually has been proven multiple times is that when you are exerting a level of energy, like, like high intensity work would be a good example, um, very long, um, you have know, high paced um, running would be an example where bang for buck is just not as good as as the other things. So the two things would be weightlifting with rest, right? So um, if you normally can weightlift and let's say get your sessions in in an hour and now you're not eating near as much or maybe your levels of hydrations are a little bit lower because your calories are lower, things of that nature. You might want to allow for an hour and a half what would normally take you an hour, right? Um, Same thing when you get deeper in the cycle. We talked about this on Thursday, is that moving, I'm not a fan of not working out, right? I'm also a fan of if if, if you feel good, if you feel like you can do it, keep going, right? I think there's way too many people that moderate their workouts on week one of fat loss when their calories are at 1600. You know, um, that that's that's you not pushing yourself enough, right? But when you get to the fourth week, fifth week, um, working out two to three times a week, if you're working out five and then replacing that with some level of a walking or maybe some jogging with some walking, something of that nature. That's just going to be better. And the reason why it's going to be better is because it's going to draw off of your fat stores. When you're, when your body needs quick energy, it needs carbohydrates acutely. That's what hit does, right? That's what, when you're running and you're running up a hill, you're gonna need access to glucose in that moment, right? But if you're walking or you're jogging slowly or something like you don't need access to glucose in that way. But you do wanna be able to continue to add to your deficits. Now, I will say if you if you had, if you asked me to choose, which one would I choose? Once again, I'm keeping some level of working out along the way right but if i'm choosing i'm choosing the walking jog, and the reason why is because the weight training is going to hold more water in my muscles along the way right and so it is going to keep my weight up in that process right part of this process i you know talked about it in an article i wrote last week is that people diminish um Levels of hydration, just dismissing it as water weight. The problem with that is, is that after the water weight comes the fat, right? So getting rid of some level of water weight will allow you to then burn the fat, right? So you have to be conscious of that as you're going. So am I talking about all six weeks, just go to walking? I think that that would be a mistake Um, because one, you won't lose fat in that scenario right? Not necessarily the way that you would if you kept some of the weightlifting. The goal of weightlifting is to keep your lean mass, right? If you're in a deficit, if you're, you know, doing 25,000 steps, you're much more likely to blow through, like I said, water, but also dip into um, your lean mass in that instance. So you want to keep enough weightlifting. So you're keeping the lean mass that you have, but you also want to modify enough to where you can, you know, have some deficit, you know, as you're in the deeper stages so that you're actually drawing off your fat stores. So that's the answer.
1: Okay. Anne is asking. So I started with ETP uh, the beginning of August, have been in PR since I started. I'm going to be moving to fat loss on Thursday of this week. My typical week in terms of exercise activity includes teaching 3 fitness classes which are virtual and I do the workout with my clients, 3 to 5 days of walking or running, and I try my best to get at least 3 days of week one-on-one on one of one of Coach Stephanie's weight training program. I have a considerable number of macros and my concern is how hungry I'm going to be starting fat loss. Any suggestions? Like most, I'm sure, I dread the feeling of hunger. I typically get seven to eight hours of sleep each night, but lately my sleep seems a bit restless.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, I did just answer, right? um, With the last question, is don't adjust your, your, your workouts you know, in the first couple of weeks. I'd say two to, for the first two to three weeks, you're probably going to be fine. Are you going to be hungry? Yes. You know, what would be the case that I would make in that scenario? I would say you would you would want to maybe delay your meals. Um, it kind of depends on when you work out. In terms of your workouts with your clients, you know, I mean, you know, as a trainer, I'm sure you know the difference between going 100% and kind of going 50% so that you can kind of display how the workouts work without, you know, killing yourself, right? Um, The, um, the um, sorry, I just got distracted. Killing yourself is probably not the the best thing to say in that instance, Um, but, you know, just exerting yourself too much, Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you're going to have to pull some of that back. You know, I I just think that otherwise you're going to end up being hungry, you know, Um, you know, the thing that gets focused on when we talk about deficits and whether exercise should be used for burning fat and stuff like that, all misses the point, right? Like when you're doing the level of exercise that you're doing, the food is helping, right? And, and you've probably seen that in PR. Is it worth it to do a fat loss cycle? I think there's a couple of things that need to be said in your situation. One, there's a very big difference between us working you into a managed surplus occasionally and overeating, right? Because I think, I think a lot of times people you know, who haven't done anything, you've done everything right. Right, you've done six months. You're NPR, but sometimes I think the expectation is, well, now I'm going to lose thirty pounds, right? And the people that lose thirty pounds came to us with like really bad habits, and we're making monstrous interventions for them. You know, for you, just be realistic that fifteen to twenty pounds is probably the goal. You know, um, the other thing too is because you exercise. That's sort of baked in physiologically, right? And so um, because I hold myself to a really high standard with food, um, when I eat less food, because, you know, right now, like I said, you know, my workouts are mostly cardio-based, I lose weight really fast because I'm baked in at the high level right? I don't know where your calories are, but I suspect they're probably somewhere between 2300 and 2700, right? I'm usually going to push at least a thousand past that, right? I do consider myself patient zero for you to perform, you know? And so I try to keep a standard of much higher food than most of you do. Um, and then I don't diet near as much as most of you do, right? Um, And so, like right now, um, sometimes when we're traveling, I talk about this quite a bit, you know, just because like your food just gets so off and and things of this nature, we will do some fasting along the way. And what what happens in that scenario when you're kinda pushing that high end is that you do get like these drastic, you know, um, changes. You know we weren't able to work out. I mean, yesterday was the first day we got in like three hours of pickleball, and I mean, I woke up two hours early. I was starving. My weight was like down three pounds, right? So you just get this like really acute result. So think of just consider all those things as you're going through this process. I mean, I hope you lose as much as you want to lose, right? But a managed surplus is not the same as overeating, right? So kind of keep that in mind. And then also realize that your workouts are baked in. And so, so, you know, um, we want to get at least the amount of exertion that you're normally getting. So you might have to go to low intensity, steady state work, just to just to stay even on the workouts that you've been doing.
1: Yeah, and she is saying, just to clarify, just cutting for summer weather don't really have a lot of weight to lose. Gotcha. Um, I have another question here. When I commit to something, I'm a super perfectionist when it comes to compliance. I'm finishing week four of fat loss two, and I had a super hard week personally and at work. Last night, I decided my mental health and relationship needed more of my effort than my physical. So I abandoned my plan and went out for dinner. I didn't go too far over my macros. I did switch my super day to today instead, but I'm wondering if I did the right thing. You talk about having a better relationship with food. And this was one of my moments where I just needed to shift my focus for one meal. How do you see this in fat loss? Because it's only six weeks. Should I really be 100% compliant no matter what?
0: So you shouldn't be 100% compliant no matter what. Um, you should listen to your mental health, right? I mean, I, I think that's the part that that I try to focus on that I think a lot of places ignore. You know, I mean, a lot of places are going to tell you the standard of one day isn't going to make that big of a difference. And the fact of the matter is, is one day isn't going to make that big of a difference. You know, um, the caution that I would say is take your mental health day, right? Enjoy, you know, your relationship. Um, and I mean, if you if you feel a need to extend your fat loss one day, go ahead, you know, talk to your coach. But that's, that's all that happens, right? And so um, I'm certainly for that, right? What I think happens though, and this is the part you have to be cautious about. Today is the new day. Today is the day that your mental health should have been reset in theory right like you're doing it to have kind of a mental reset and then a you know relationship reset and things of that nature the problem runs in that you run into is that um sometimes when you open that door you're like oh man it was it was really good you know having that food it was really good you know because of that food my libido came back and we had a great night you know um and and who doesn't like joy right um but that's the reason why we keep the cycle six weeks so that's the only caution i would say is you know i'm certainly not mr rigid um i believe in those kinds of resets um you've only really cost yourself one day you know Um, but be careful that the door doesn't get open. One of the things that I didn't mention that I was going to mention earlier, you know, there was this lady at my gym, um, and she, she talked about this, um, and she struggled with dieting and weight loss her whole life. Right. And she's telling me about this one instance where she went to Dairy Queen and how that one instance at Dairy Queen is why she you know, just couldn't lose weight for the rest of the summer. And if you've been around any form of dieting at all, you know that that narrative is out there. That's the reason why you're asking this question, right? Is did it ruin everything? Not only did it not ruin everything, it might've actually helped, but for this person to believe that, you know, her weight loss struggles, right? Um, is related to going to Dairy Queen once is not reality, right? Because she doesn't understand that it's the rigidness that has actually caused more of a problem than that one day at Dairy Queen. The one day at Dairy Queen actually helped. It's very, very well known that it helped, right? That, that um, refeeds of all forms, especially when you're at a, a, a low, low calorie point are valuable. Right, And so, so I think you did the right thing. Um, I do think that uh, hopefully it sets you up for, for more success. The, this, this is the caution that, this is probably one of the biggest things that we've brought to the table in the last two years, is that as we move to adaptation prevention, as we move to performance slash recon, the biggest problem isn't the numbers. It's the fact that people want to get back to normal too quick, right? And so as long as you view that six week cycle as an eight week cycle, and we can get calories, you know, bump back up relatively quickly, then you're gonna have more success. But if, if you come out the gate firing, that one day is probably okay. I would even kind of restrict it to one meal, right? But what happens is, is once you open that door, it's hard to shut and it's not just hard to shut you know um it's hard to shut on a chemical level right your body chemically wants more food but it's just not ready to handle that more food in in a quick way which is why we you know we're still bumping a lot better than other people do right i mean these these people that are reverse dieting i wrote an article about that this week reverse dieting giving people they're basically doing nothing and screwing up those people you know the you have to do the bigger jumps and when you can do those bigger jumps you can get your calories back to normal relative normal in 2000 and then you can start to have some of those moments where you're sort of enjoying yourself but everybody talks about it in the forums you'll see it all the time oh my god my metabolism is coming back so quickly i'm so hungry all the time and I wasn't hungry in fat loss, right? That's because in fat loss, your body was in preservation mode and in you know um, AP and PR, your body's in thriving and abundance mode, right? And, and that's the way your body would prefer to be. So, so keep that in mind.
1: Okay, a couple more here. Um, Elise is asking, how often can you do a whole fat loss cycle? What is the recommendation if you want to do more than two a year?
0: Um, I mean, it, so it depends on how much weight you have to lose. Right. Um, but the answer is nobody knows the answer, right? Because I can't know that you dieted when you were 12 years old. Right. Um, and so you kind of have to factor that in, right? There's a, there's a little bit of an unknown factor. What we do see though, is that the more you do it, the worse it is, you know? You're only going to see, so like, we've tried three fat loss cycles. Like, you know how we have fat loss one, fat loss two. We've tried fat loss three, fat loss four. But the problem is fat loss three, fat loss four don't do anything, you know? So we move to the system that's better, you know? um. I, I would question why you're in such a hurry, right? And then I would also like to know, like, what kind of weight are we talking about? You know, are you, are you 275 pounds? We could probably get away with it, you know? But if you're, if you're 160, like, what makes you want to be in fat loss so much, you know? So think of that. That would be, that would be how I would couch it. You know, if you're more in the 160 to 100 range, 180 range, you know, you should be able to do a lot of good work in two cycles. But if you're 275, yeah, we could probably pull it off.
1: Okay. Jessica is asking if life keeps you out of exercise at the gym for an extended period um, due to injury or illness, et cetera, is it better to push off a fat loss cycle until exercise levels return to normal?
0: Okay. So I just want to, Becky did just message me her weight. And the answer is no three cycles for you. It's just worse. It won't help, right? You're way better off just doing two cycles. So I'm going to need you to read that back.
1: Yeah, no problem. Jessica's asking if life keeps you out of exercise or the gym for an extended period due to injury or illness, et cetera, is it better to push off a fat loss cycle until exercise levels return to normal
0: um, I would say yeah, you know, that's how I would do it. Um, I think there's always like a comfort level, you know, um, for me I've had to push my comfort level mentally, right? Um, even though I put on a lot of muscle in in the last 7 years, um, you know, my lowest weight was 150. I knew that was too low, right? But, you know, as I've you know, been in the 190 to 200 range, even with more muscle, you do kind of get to that point where like, is this too comfortable for, too uncomfortable for me? Right. And for me, I have very defined ways of thinking about it. And that helps me as guideposts, right? Like I said, you know, I look at it every five years and I'm pretty sure, you know, I mean, I did for, for those that don't know, um, you know, when I was talking about hormone replacement earlier, I think most people know that I'm on testosterone replacement. So, when I talk about hormone replacement and how to do it, I'm talking to you as someone who's researched it for years before I went on it. Um, and that's why I think most people that go on hormone replacement sort of waste the opportunity, right? Now does that mean that you know my weight's a little bit higher maybe to the discomfort level um I'm pushing it you know not not too bad you know right now I'm 196 um I don't want to be you know I, this is different for dudes right than it is for women I just don't want to be less than 200 you know what I'm saying like I want to be I want to be somewhere between 180 and 200 because Frankly, I kind of look like a man in that, you know, when I was 149, I just looked too small, you know? And I'm not saying, look, there's a lot of people that want to be 160 that are five, seven, five, eight, you you know, do you, right? If that's what you want to look like, that's where your comfort level is. You're never going to hear a judgment on me, but that's just not me, you know, for me, You know, I want to be able to lift 500 pounds. I want to be able to squat, you know, close to four. You know, you don't get to do that at at 150 pounds, you know. And so I think when we get back to the question, you know, you want to be as optimal as you possibly can where you're you're feeling like you're close to 100%. But if you get to 80 and you're starting to push that discomfort level, I would go ahead, you know, I mean, just, just... If you think about what we're talking about, this is actually kind of a miracle. Just the the premise of this question is that most people that diet, they fail because they are reacting to a moment. You're talking about planning a potential scenario. If more people did it that way, they would all be more successful, right? So you even just considering that question, means that you have a likelihood of being a lot more successful along the way.
1: Okay, last one. Um, Margaret's asking, a vacation has been planned for four weeks after fat loss too. I know that isn't ideal and it's as far back as I could push it with other scheduling. Should I move calories up really quickly in that month or slower to have that bit of a deficit after?
0: Okay. I hate, I, for some reason, so uh, here's what I'm going to say. You want to have your calories higher going into vacation, right? Um, so if you're in fat loss, you should be able to get calories back to normal in about a month, right? Now, if you're going into vacation, I know you're, I, you know, I'm not speaking to you specifically, Meg, but, um, the, uh, um, it's hard for many of you who want to be at your lowest weight so that you're in a bikini in the Bahamas and want more food fast but that's exactly what you need right because what we know for fact is that vacationing down to your lowest weight and being in a deficit is the fastest way to gain a lot of weight really fast right um or have a vacation where your whole family hates you right because you know like mom didn't get to eat ice cream or dad didn't get to eat ice cream or or you know like for couples as an example usually it's a good way to reconnect well if you're not you know drinking or or you know enjoying a a lot of the things that can allow vacation to be good you know a lot of that, let's be real, does kind of set the tone for those moments together, you know, and I'm not just talking about sex. I'm talking about, you know, just, you know, having the energy to actually go on a walk on a beach, right? You know, how many times, you know, you're you just like in these deficits and you just can't even drag yourself off the couch. You certainly want, don't want to be doing that, you know, it's drudgery to do anything or, you know, mom or dad you know um ate out last night enjoyed themselves had a good and now they're on the treadmill for three hours you know um that's no fun you know so make sure that your calories are up um you know if you want to run a fat loss cycle after it's a great time to do it you know um and and that is something that i would suggest for some people so if you're don't have a lot of weight to lose as an example running a fat loss one taking a month to move calories all the way back and then doing fat loss two that's actually something i think would be really effective for most people so i don't know if that answers the question specifically the related related to the way she asked it but that's what i what i think is the optimal scenario
1: i need to clarify something there he's saying run fat loss two after the vacation right paul
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: Not a fat loss three. I just needed to make sure that she understood.
0: Yeah. 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 But you know, if you, if you're running it through fat loss two, you know, give yourself that month, but I'm just, I was just saying, if you had the option.
1: Okay. We've got one more in here from Steve. How do you figure out what your ideal weight is? My work says I need to weigh something like 170 pounds for six feet, not to pay the health insurance fat tax. I feel yeah, I'd I- like I'd be skin and bone at 170.
0: Yeah, I mean, your work is just not not using current measures, right? Um, you know, I'm 5'8", you know, 195. <laughs> right, um, I'm about 15% body fat, so that means what? My lean mass is like 160, something like that. You know, um, I, you know, like I said, you know, I can play. Ex- I can exercise for four hours straight. Um, I could probably run a. It would hurt, but I could probably run a, a 5k without much issues at all. You know, um, I think. I think some of that stuff needs to get better, you know. Um, they're basing it off of average people, right? And we're not trying to be average people. I think I think the bar for average people is too low, you know. It's one of the reasons why we're all struggling, you know. So, nah, man. I, I you know, I mean, to to get twenty dollars off your insurance, there's no way I would want to be one seventy and six yeah know that's just that's the answer to that, and hopefully you can bring to them a more enlightened approach, you know I mean, like um you know if you're if you're ten to fifteen percent body fat, and people go, oh you know it's, it's so f- funny on the internet, ten to fifteen percent body fat is like a death sentence. The good majority of people are nowhere near twenty, right um So, I mean, like at 10 to 15%, you're doing real good, you know? Um, But, you know, in in the internet world, everybody's gotta be 4% body fat, otherwise why even exist, right? Um, And that's where I think some of these narratives need to start to change, you know, hopefully on the corporate level, but also insurance. I mean, you know, I mean, all the insurance people are doing is using charts that say, you know, this allows people to live longer. And it's true, it does allow people to live longer. But the the number actually levels off around 80 years old, right? So the people that are under eating and and staying lean most of their life, the, you know, right now the, the number is 80. You know where they actually benefit more but the people that live longer than 80 actually live a better life right the the majority of the people that are actually um using a more rigid approach staying a, a lean weight and things of that nature the the problems with that just haven't caught up to them to 80 right but many of the people that are eating an adequate amount if they were exercising regularly and lifting weights and doing all the positive things, they see the same benefits that that the people under eating would, would benefit from. And like I said, you know, I mean, it, 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 you're kind of trading problematic areas, right? So on the one hand, yeah, you might be fine, but you might have a high dose of Synthroid, of right? Because you, you don't have a functioning, thyroid level for male and females, you know, um, you know, like I said, hormone levels, you know, when you're under eating, um, it was interesting. One of my friends was a bodybuilder and he wrote this article and it, it just went nuts um, because bodybuilders aren't honest about this, you know? Um, and he said that bodybuilding was basically a form of castration that, that for one month he was ineffective as a man, <laughs> right? And, and like the whole bodybuilding world was like, like their secret was let out, you know? And then, like, if you think about bodybuilding as an example, you know, I don't, I don't think the, the, I mean, maybe like the bikini and stuff like that does get to this level, like, like that's the optimal female, but, but absolutely on the man's side. Um and by the way, that happens on the women's side more acutely, right? Like libido just goes to nothing um for professional bodybuilders um in in these long deficits. Um but in terms of in terms of male bodybuilding these guys are supposed to be the example of what a man would want to be right well if a man can't function as a man, right, then it's kind of missing the point, you know, and, and these are some of the the things that, you know, all these 22 year olds buying these bodybuilding magazines, they're not getting that story. Right. And um, so I think a lot of these things, you know, I, I feel like, I feel like we've talked about 10 things on this call that are against the norm right that are kind of secrets that people just don't want you to know and then part of the reason why they don't want you to know is because they're selling you on being less right and don't get me wrong you know for you know the the 270 pound person you know um there's probably some health issues that we do need to address and and we can address those with deficits. And, and in those cases, deficits are fine, but, but these ideas where, you know, you're 180 pound female, right? You have more fat than you like, but you function well as a human being and you're likely healthy. Right. Um, What's the point of these drastic ways of doing things that ultimately end up being ineffective? right? The only reason that, it, that a, a person that's 270 can get away with three is because of the amount of fat stores that, that they have, right? The fact that you have fat stores is different than you having excess fat stores, right? And so um, remind me of the last question, Carolyn.
1: Um, Steve was asking about his, the fat tax at his work that, um, wants him down to 170 pounds.
0: Yeah. So, um, yeah, they would really hate those bodybuilders, um, that are 260 pounds at 4%. Um, or, or, you know, many of the professional athletes that, you know, are operating at that level Many, many performers that I've operated at that level, you know, there needs to be more of a new, when you look at a body fat test, the first number you should look at is how much lean mass do I have? Quit worrying about the body fat and worry about that lean mass. It will, it will trust me, be to your benefit over the course of your life. All right. Well, I appreciate all the questions and love it being able to talk to all of you and, and you know i just think that what we're doing is different and um you know we we have some you know we're going to have a lot more people coming into lifetime real soon and it's just i love the fact that that we we have this you know and i love the fact that you know i hope more companies realize that normalizing food having lifelong conversations based on science And then having conversations where you're a little bit ahead of the science, right? Like when we're talking about predictive total daily energy expenditure, total daily energy expenditure. Um, All right. I appreciate everybody being here and we'll talk to you later. Bye now.